Revelation 1 says this. Revelation 1 says, you're blessed if you read this thing. Every church that reads it and listens to it will be blessed. So, so if it's a blessing for the church of a hundred years ago, obviously the world didn't end a hundred years ago, but the church that read Revelation was blessed by reading it. And, and all of it, all of Revelation should have been a blessing. Okay, so, so keeping that in mind, even though I think a lot of us feel like we're in the end times, and we may very well be, it's still a blessing for anyone that reads it. It's a blessing to the first century church. When they first read it, it was written to them. And that means that Revelation has meaning for us. It has meaning for the church throughout history. It's not like, keep this book under wraps until you see the Antichrist and then open it up. No, no, it's, it's, it's for all of us at all times. Okay, so um, I'd invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 6. Last book of your Bible, Revelation chapter 6. Today we're talking about uh, the seven seals. Revelation chapter 6. What we're about to read flows out of everything we said last week. Okay, We talked about the throne room of heaven. And we talked about the fact that there was this, there was this scroll... And, and they were trying to look for somebody to open it. Who can open the seven seals? Nobody could open it. And, and, and so John's weeping and crying. And finally, finally hears a voice that says, No, no, you see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy. And then this passage, chapter 6, flows. It, it doesn't say John has a new vision in chapter 6, okay? Like, like a lot of revelations, like, I had this vision, and then it says, and later I had this vision. But this is, this is a flowing narrative. I mean, I could have just kept reading last week and it would have been all one scene. You know, so John's in the throne room. He's seeing these amazing creatures. He's seeing Jesus. And, and then Jesus starts opening these seals. It's one scene here. Okay, The curtain hasn't come down. There's not a new vision. It's the same vision. And I think that's important because John hears that the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open these seals that are on this scroll. He's the only one worthy to do it. And then when John turns, he looks and he sees the lion, but he says he, he looks like a lamb. In fact, he looks like a lamb that's been slain. And so as we read chapter 6, flowing out of the throne room of God's scene, it's, it's the same scene, we're looking at the lamb who is a lion opening the seals. When we say Jesus is lion and lamb, uh, and, and again, that's kind of my main theme for the morning. What, what I see going on here is we're saying Jesus, you know, I, I remember, uh, let me put it this way. I remember in, uh, in, in college, you know, Bible school, they teach you how to preach and they say, stay away from all those those that Christianese, you know, the church lingo that only church people know, like like you're saved by the by the blood of the lamb, you know. Well, in this case today, I'm going to break all those rules because we're talking about the lamb, okay? Where we're literally talking about how Jesus died on a cross, sacrificed himself, you know, he, he was God who became a man and lived a perfect life, and so he's a spotless lamb, he's perfect. But lambs are vulnerable; lambs die. And Jesus died on a cross. He, he allowed evil people 
to crucify him, to die for all of our mistakes. Now, Genesis chapter 49, you've got Jacob, and, and if you know your Israel history, Abraham starts Israel, right? There's Abraham, Abraham has a son named Isaac, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, his name is later changed to Israel, right? So, so Jacob's on his deathbed, and he calls his kids together, and he gives them all a blessing, right? Twelve tribes, and he says, Judah, you're like a lion cub, and the scepter will never depart from you. In other words, your line is going to be the line of kings. Kings are going to come from you in your family tree. Jesus is a lion in the tribe of Judah. He rules, in other words. So, so, when, so when they say, the lion of Judah is worthy to open the scroll, they're saying, Jesus, the ruling king, has the authority over all this stuff. But then John looks and he's like, but it doesn't look like a lion. It looks like an innocent, slain lamb. So all I'm saying is when we read these symbols, I want us to read them with thinking that Jesus is both lion and lamb. You can't take one away from the other because he's absolutely both. And when we read about the seals, I want you to see that as we read it, okay? So take a look with me um, at the seven seals. Chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures, the ones we talked about last week, say in a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come! And, and then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Let's pause there. These images are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I want to work through them, and then we'll make a few conclusions about them, all right? Um, horseman number one, if you have your notes, seal number one, you, you can follow along on there, you can follow on the screen. The horseman of conquest. The horseman of conquest. This guy goes riding out, and by the way, just, just so I'm, I'm, I'm being clear from the beginning here, I don't view these horsemen as like literal you know, the, the hoofs are galloping, and one day you're going to see on CNN, uh, here's this horseman riding across, you know, wherever. <laughs> and you're going to say, oh, there he is. Just like it's... I, I don't think the image is meant to say, this is exactly what it's going to look like. There's going to be a literal guy riding out like this. No, I think it's a symbol, meaning this. these are the kinds of, of devastating things that are going to happen. All right? Um... 
First horseman is a horseman of conquest. He carries a bow. Now, this horseman, above all others, people like to try to identify this one. Um, there's a lot of different views about it. Some people think he's Jesus because he's riding a white horse. And later in Revelation, you're going to see Jesus return riding a white horse. And I don't think anything could be further from the truth personally. If you lump these horsemen together, they're not bringing good things on the earth. Okay, They're bringing terrible things. And I don't think you've got one good horseman and then three terrible ones. It seems like you've got four bad ones. <laughs> and, and this one, I would say more appropriately, if you've got to identify who this is, you may be looking at the Antichrist. I mean, if you're going to identify this one as something, it, it may be the Antichrist. Because he's riding a white horse. And who's going to impersonate Christ like the Antichrist? Okay? And other people say, well, look, look, notice he's holding a bow, but he's not holding arrows. And so some say, aha, we think he is, is not conquering through war, he's conquering through peace. Join me. I'll be your leader. Sign a covenant with me. And in fact, some people point to Daniel chapter 9 and 10, and, 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 they, and you see how um, it looks like Israel makes a peace treaty with, uh, what makes a covenant with the Antichrist. And they say, look, there, there, there's a connection here. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he is united people behind him in, in a bloodless battle to put nations together. Maybe. Horseman number two is uh, seal number two. And this is, excuse me, the, the horseman of bloodshed. The horseman of bloodshed. Uh, he's riding, let's see, a red horse. And he's given power to take peace from the earth. So a lot of people say, okay, well wait, the first horseman is, is conquering, but he's probably bringing peace. But then you've got the second horseman who's taking peace from the earth. This horseman of bloodshed, he's causing people to kill each other. He's given a large sword. There, there's murder, there's bloodshed. And then you've got the third seal with the, with the third living creature calling out. And you've got that horseman coming. And, and that is the horseman of famine. Now, uh, what he, he has scales in his hand, which, which like we're measuring things. How much sells for how much. We're talking about inflation here. Uh, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. So, so huge inflation, famine, food shortage, people dying because there's not enough to go around. And, and then it says, and do not damage the oil and the wine. A lot of people take this to mean the oil and the wine are, are items that rich people have and so that rich people aren't as affected as the poor people at this time. The rich still have what they need and they're still living comfortably. It's the poor that can't afford the wheat, that can't afford the food because of the high prices that are suffering during this, uh, during this third seal. Then you have uh, the fourth seal and the fourth, cre- the fourth horseman, and, and that guy's name is Death. So the fourth seal is the horseman of Death with his friend Hades following close behind. It says they were given a power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of earth. So this horseman is bringing death in many different ways. Now, 
Would you look at Matthew 24 with me really quick? Keep your finger in Revelation because we're going right back to it. But um, Matthew 24. I love Matthew 24. Uh, it's all of that discourse because it, as hard as Revelation is, and it is hard, Jesus, like, it's almost like he says, I just want to, I want to tell you how it's all going to end. And I'm going to condense it. I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version here, guys, okay? And the disciples must be like us, you know, it's like, give, give us the easy stuff, okay? But, but look what Jesus says in Matthew 24. So, Jesus leaves the temple and the disciples had been commenting, oh, the temple is so great. Look at how big the Jerusalem temple is. Amazing. He's like, don't worry, guys. I mean, th- there's going to come a time when there's going to be huge destruction here. And the disciples say, well, tell us about the end. When are you coming? When, when will the end be? And Jesus says, chapter 24, uh, verse 4, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah. And will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. It makes a lot of sense if you're comparing Scripture with Scripture to say, the horsemen are the beginning of birth pains. If you look at this passage, you see that there are false messiahs. Uh, If the Antichrist is horseman number one, that makes a lot of sense. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. right? Well, that's horseman number two. He's going to take peace from the earth and cause all this battle and bloodshed, people killing each other. Nation rises against nation. Uh, Verse 7 says, There'll be famines. Horseman number three. There'll be famines. There won't be enough food. And then a lot of people uh, categorize earthquakes as horseman number four. You know, the, the plagues, the different things that are happening that, that are causing death. Earthquakes in various places. I, I don't think that's quite as clear. Maybe the horsemen don't fit perfectly here. But there's a lot of similarity, if you ask me. A lot of similarity. And then Jesus says, these are only birth pains the real i mean again the end is in a symbol of childbirth and and all you ladies can amen that because you know you that have been you mothers know childbirth is so difficult and the first birth pains are hard but they don't compare to the later birth pains and the pushing of that child into the world it's it's actually a appropriate picture and it's also a beautiful picture because after the birth pains are over, you get a baby. You get a child. And after all these pains are over, we get to be with Jesus forever, reigning with him on earth. So so a uh, thousand years on earth, actually. I'm, I'm referring to a millennium there. Don't want to get ahead of myself, sorry. Um, but here's, if you go back to Revelation uh, 6, Jesus is breaking these seals open and these writers are writing forth and they're bringing devastation to the earth. We can conclude then that the lamb, who is a lion, is ruling in such a way that he's permitting the devastation of sin 
on the earth. You might think that the horsemen only ride in the future before the end comes. But how do you account for the 100,000 that have died in Syria during their civil war? How do you account for that if not to say, that's a lot like a horseman? How do you account, um, I mean, obviously, we, we adopted from Uganda our little boy, and so we've kind of kept up with Ugandan stuff. Uh, famine in Uganda, you know, they, they say there's 350,000 people that are at risk of starvation right now in Uganda. Famine. 350,000 people. I didn't see it rain much when we were over there. Chris and I always talked about that. Well, it didn't rain very much. They said it was supposed to be the rainy season, but they didn't see much rain. This is the effects of that. How do you account for all of the American soldiers that we've lost in war? Hundreds of thousands of them. So many in, in the 20th century. How do you account for all of that if not to say, the horsemen ride today. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a futurist. I believe there's going to be a great seven-year tribulation. We're going to talk more about that next week. And I believe these things will happen during that time. Probably during the first three and a half years, a lot of people say the horsemen probably take place during that first three and a half because they're the birth pains. They're the first things. But it certainly seems like we see it today. And any arguing, I remember teaching this one time in youth group, and I had one really sharp young guy, I think he was a senior in high school, and he was actually mad at the end of this, I was teaching about the horsemen, and he got mad because that's just not right. I mean, they, these things are terrible, and you're saying they're happening today, and it's like, well, just look at the news. Not, not the American news that you see, you know, uh, not, not your CBS, ABC, no, look at, make sure you're looking at world news, world news. And you see these things. You see these things. And it breaks your heart. Um, an example. When Caitlin, uh, my, my, my little girl, uh, she, we were going to go on a bike ride last month, and she slammed the door on her finger. Uh, she went out to get her bike stuff ready, came in, slammed the door on her index finger, and I was standing in the kitchen, and she came up, and she showed me her finger, and it, it looked terrible. And, and you know what she said to me? I mean, through her tears, she said, Dad, get me a Band-Aid. And I'm looking at this thing going, that's not Band-Aid material, okay? That's like, take you to the doctor, get you some stitches material, because I don't know what just happened, but that does not look good. And, and, you know, and then I said, Caitlin, we're going to have to go to the doctor. This, this is not good. You know, we've got, we got to get help for this finger. She says, no, Dad, just give me a Band-Aid. Give me a Band-Aid. And, and a lot of you are like that. A lot of you men are like that. You know, cut you. Like, just cover it up, all right? Take the arm off. Just whatever. I don't want to look at it. Um, and, and it's like, a lot of us don't want to look at the wound. But this is what Jesus does in opening these seals. He says, I want you to see the devastation that sin causes. I want you to see it. You chose sin. Humanity chose rebellion. Every time we sin, we agree with Adam and Eve, yep, we would have done the same thing. We would have chosen disobedience. 
And Jesus says, I'm not going to heal this unless you can first see the wound. We've got to take a look at it. Okay? One day the wound will be healed. And all will be fixed. But for now, the doctor says, let's take a look at it. And that hurts and touches every single one of us. You have friends and family members that have been abused. You've lost loved ones. You've been hurt. And Jesus didn't cause that. Our sin introduced that to the world. And Jesus says, I'm letting the horseman ride, but I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. But in my time. Okay. Um, would you look then at... Um, would you look then at the next verse here in our passage? Um, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then, they were each, then each of them were given a white robe, and they were told to wait a, a, while, a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Um, before I say anything else on that, uh, rewind just a moment. One more thing on the lion and the lamb here. The lamb is opening these seals, and these judgments are coming. These horsemen are riding forth, and we see a lot of the effects today. One more thing about Jesus on that. When we say that he's a lamb and he's a lion, he has the authority to send these things here, okay? He has the authority to say, let sin run its course. But remember that as a lamb, he himself felt the full weight of suffering that a lot of people on this earth are feeling right now. He felt it. I, I didn't want to let that moment go to say that, okay? Because you can read this and go, the lamb is, is authorizing horsemen to bring devastation. And we see a lot of it today. But the lamb is vulnerable himself. Because he came to earth and gave himself to sinful people. I, I look at the horsemen and say, the horsemen are just humanity at their worst. And Jesus says, "If, if okay. Go ahead. But I will deal with it. Okay. I want to make sure I said that. The image of the lamb is a vulnerable, innocent person. And the lamb suffered. Now I want to move on uh, briefly to this altar scene, seal number five. Um, you've got martyrs beneath the altar in heaven. 
Now, this could be the altar, like a blood sacrifice altar. In that case, the people would be at the bottom. These martyrs would be at the bottom of the altar where the blood flows down, which, is, which would be very interesting symbolism of, of their blood that was shed. Some people say this is the altar of incense because incense rises, prayers rise, and these people are crying out to God. The prayers are rising. Um, I, I lean a little closer to the altar of incense here uh, because the altar of incense is named later on in Revelation in a few chapters. We'll look at that later. But um, regardless, regardless, they call out for God to avenge their deaths. Are we supposed to do that? This one of those passages where you read and you go, oh, good, because i got a few people to pray about, you know? <laughs> okay, no, right? Um, we seek justice on the earth, but from my perspective on what Jesus does, when he's getting crucified, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, when Stephen, the first, one of the first martyrs is getting stoned, in the book of Acts, he sees heaven open and he says, God, don't count it against them. You mean the people that are throwing rocks at you that want you to die? Yeah, don't count it against them. It seems like in heaven, we have a little bit of a different perspective on divine justice. These martyrs have a different perspective than what we're supposed to have on earth. Is that fair enough? I, I don't see us t- saying, I'm going to follow Jesus' example and hope that you all get cursed forever in hell. I, I don't see that. But I see them here saying, God judged the earth because they took our lives. They took our lives, these wicked people. I don't think this is a go thou and do likewise kind of verse. But they're also right to call out to God for justice. And then you get verse 12. Oh, by the way, so God says, hold on. I'm not going to do it yet. I'm not going to judge them yet. Wait. And if this is sequential judgment, they're the birth pains, remember? But then verse 12 is the final judgment. Sixth seal. This is the day of the Lord. Um, referred to in the Old Testament. There's earthquakes. The, the, the sun gets darkened. Uh, the moon turns blood red. And then, and then the, the stars fall to earth. Trees are shaking. Mountains are moving. Everybody's hiding in caves. They're scared of God. They're saying, we want to hide ourselves from Him. Uh, and then in verse 17, For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can withstand it? This is the end of the world. And we even haven't even gotten to the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of God's wrath. And I say, what's going on here? Probably, you've got some overlap with the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of wrath you probably got some overlap in other words when you play music like what we heard this morning you you've got multiple notes and things happening at the same time you've got voices coming in and singing all at the same time when you write things you got to write one this thing and then this thing and then this thing it's kind of like there's an order to it and so a lot of people say well that means there's all the seals then all the trumpets and then all the bulls um Probably there's some overlap there. And John's just seeing things from a different perspective. All that to say, though, the seals show us the end of the world. The very, very end. And we're going to see more of it later. 
But it happens here. Jesus then, the lamb, will rule like a lion and will vindicate every person that's ever died in the name of Christ. He will come back and say, I'm not okay with the wicked people on this earth. It's not okay. And so there's going to be earthquakes and judgments and people will be dying. People will be hiding in caves and they will know this is their final judgment from Jesus Christ. They will know who it is that's judging them. And the martyr's cry from underneath the altar will finally be answered. This is the answer. The end is here. And then it says, oh, and before I read that last verse again, um, maybe one way you want to look at this passage of, of, of God bringing all these judges and finally dealing with it. Because a lot of us feel that today, right? Like, like we know people that are hurting and we say, why do you allow this, God? Why are there starving people over here? Why are there hurting people here? Why are kids being hurt by adults that should know better? Why? You know, and we say, why don't you just step in and just get them? Just, just take care of it. And we see a certain measure of justice on earth. We do. We do see God intervene on earth in these different ways and, and bring people to justice. But we don't see it fully until this last day of the Lord here, seal number six. We need to be able to view history. I think it's helpful to view history like, and this is a dangerous analogy, but like a, like a chess game. I don't know how many of you play chess, but when you play chess, you're making different moves, and the really good chess players are planning, I don't know how many moves in advance, what they're going to do, right? They've got the long game in view. And so in one sense, we look at the world and say, the world is broken. Where is God? And we hear people that aren't Christians say, where's your God? Because I see so much suffering. God's playing the long game here. And he knows his final moves. He's already got it arranged. And so the moves right now don't look good. You know, you see this happen and that happen. And you're like, the chess game's not going your way, God. This is bad. But he knows the final moves. And he's got it all under control. And so we cry out for justice. And one day, full justice will come. One day it will. Now, I want to close with this, and then we're going to um, sing a song of response together. Um, the last verse here is, For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? Who can withstand the wrath of the Lamb? The lion who rules, the king of kings. Who can withstand it? Now, I anticipate some of you thinking right now, where's the church during this time? Like if, this, if, this, if these birth pains started tomorrow, and we had seven years of tribulation, and then the end comes and, and all these things happen, where are we at? Now, if I started talking about the rapture, we'd be here a lot longer, okay? But I think, I think that this last question of chapter 6 is gearing you up to ask the question, what about us? For the great day of the Lamb's wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Chapter 7, new vision. It's a vision of the people of God.
Who can withstand the wrath of the Lamb? God's people can. Because the Lamb doesn't have any wrath in store for them. All other questions we're holding until next week. Uh, Next week we're looking at chapter 7, and we want to answer the question, what is the church doing during these seven seals? And why wasn't the seventh seal open yet? Uh, That'll all be answered later, but um, for now it's enough to know. The Lamb of God rules like a lion. And he knows the suffering we go through because he himself was a vulnerable lamb on the cross. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you. And and we know one day you're going to bring a conclusion to all things. And yet we see so much suffering in the world today. And please help us. Please help us respond appropriately to that suffering. Please help us. Trust you. That it seems like our enemy has made a lot of moves on the earth today to bring wars, to bring killings, to bring sufferings on on a lot of innocent people, a lot of children that didn't choose this for themselves. Help us trust you, Jesus, the lamb who was slain, that you will take care of all these things in your time. In your name we pray, amen.